WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. For Wednesday, November 3rd, it's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. Hi there, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson with a look at this morning's top news, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC News team. Coming up, the view from the morning after. We've got a rundown of midterm election results just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. Republicans have retaken control of the House of Representatives and narrowed the Democrats' majority in the Senate following two election cycles of resounding Democratic wins. As of early this morning, Republicans had won at least the 40 seats needed for a majority in the House and were leading in another two dozen districts. Democrats had only picked up two Republican seats. Established incumbents and freshman Democrats alike were beaten across the country, often by little-known Republican challengers. Among them, three New Yorkers, freshman Congressman Michael McMahon, who wrested Staten Island from Republican control just two years ago, lost to Republican challenger Michael Grimm. Congressman John Hall lost to Republican Nan Hayworth in the Hudson Valley and Scott Murphy, an upstate Democrat who just won his seat last year in a special election, lost to Christopher Gibson. John Adler, a freshman New Jersey Democrat representing the Philadelphia suburbs, was beaten by John Runyon, though the 12 other incumbents in New Jersey held on to their seats. Republicans also picked up formerly Democratic Senate seats in North Dakota, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Illinois, and toppled Blanche Lincoln in Arkansas and Russ Feingold in Wisconsin. But Governor Joe Manchin kept West Virginia's Senate seat in the hands of the Democratic Party, winning the special election for the late Robert Byrd's seat. And in Connecticut, Democratic Attorney General Richard Blumenthal beat Tea Party-backed former wrestling magnate Linda McMahon, who spent more money on the race than any candidate in Connecticut history. Democrat Barbara Boxer held on to her Senate seat in California. And in one of the tightest and most vicious races of the year, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid fought off a challenge from Tea Party favorite Sharon Angle. That wasn't the only loss for the Tea Party. Christine O'Donnell also lost her Senate race to Democrat Chris Coons in Delaware. But Tea Party candidates Marco Rubio and Rand Paul won in Florida and Kentucky. New York will have another Cuomo in the governor's mansion. State Attorney General Andrew Cuomo has won the office his father Mario held for three terms. In a victory speech in Midtown Manhattan, he called on New Yorkers to work together to get the economy moving again. We faced worse than this before, but we're going to do it together. We're going to be united. That's what made this state this state, and that's what's going to make this state the empire state once again. Cuomo comes in pledging to reform Albany, a promise made by incoming governors, of course, going back decades. Carl Palladino, his Tea Party GOP opponent, said that's what he wanted to do. He wielded a baseball bat and repeated the refrain that he and his supporters were mad as hell, but at the same time he denied they were angry. We're frustrated taxpayers who are passionate about taking back this state for the people. New York's two Senate seats have also remained in Democratic hands. Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand have won re-election, though Gillibrand will have to defend her seat again in two years. Democrat Eric Schneiderman is New York's next attorney general, having beaten Republican Dan Donovan. 
The state controller's race was still too close to call as of early this morning, with incumbent Democrat Tom DiNapoli holding a razor-thin edge over Republican Harry Wilson. Also, as of early this morning, it was too soon to tell whether Republicans might win back control of the New York State Senate. Republicans also made major gains in governor's races across the country. The GOP captured state executive mansions previously held by Democrats in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Tennessee, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Wyoming. Democratic Governor Deval Patrick held on in Massachusetts, and California voters returned Jerry Brown to the governor's office he left in 1983. South Carolina elected the state's first woman governor. Republican Nikki Haley, who also becomes the nation's second Indian-American governor. For the latest on all these races, for the results on races that were still too close to call as of this taping, and for the results on races that I didn't even get to this morning, go to WNYC.org and to our new politics website, itsafreecountry.org. So what's going on today, you ask? Well, President Obama holds a 1 p.m. news conference, presumably to respond to the midterm election results. We'll carry that event live on AM820 and online at WNYC.org. The Fed's Open Market Committee ends its two-day meeting with a 2 p.m. statement on monetary policy. The Fed's expected to say it'll pump more money into the system in a bid to jumpstart the economy. The question is, how much money? The Securities Exchange Commission meets to consider new rules to protect whistleblowers who report Wall Street fraud and other financial crimes. Facebook makes some kind of announcement at a mobile event it's hosting at its Palo Alto headquarters. It's been very secretive about the content of that announcement. And the World Series champion Giants will parade through downtown San Francisco to celebrate their big win, the first since 1954. And they'll follow the route the team took when it moved from New York in 1958. Just a few of the things happening this Wednesday. Let's leave politics for a moment and turn to one of the other constants in our lives, food. New York City is home to three food co-ops, member-owned, member-run grocery stores that aim to sell fresh food at reasonable prices. Right now, there's one in Manhattan and two in Brooklyn, but several more co-ops are in startup mode around the city, writing up business plans and looking for members. Ashley Milne Tite looks at the business of running a food co-op and what's involved in starting one from scratch. The Park Slope Food Co-op is the most popular in the city. It has nearly 16,000 members. Its entire inventory, from organic vegetables to locally raised beef, flies off the shelves more than once a week. Many products are 20 to 40% cheaper than elsewhere. That's because the co-op's business model differs from a regular grocery stores. General Manager Joe Holtz points to the people stacking shelves and working the cash registers. 10 out of the 11 checkouts are going. There's people on the phone, there's people at the entrance desk, people at the exit, and there's not a staff person in sight. In fact, members do 75% of the work at the co-op. Holt says all that unpaid member labour is the main reason for the low prices. And unlike regular grocery stores, co-ops aren't in business to make a profit. This co-op has a markup of 21%, about 10% lower than most supermarkets. Joe Holt says there are smaller economies too. We could save people a lot of money on raisins by buying a 30-pound box of high-quality Thompson seedless raisins instead of buying them in little packages if we do the packaging ourselves. So we do that. Membership at Park Slope has almost tripled since 2001 as interest in local and organic food has shot up. 
Some members come from as far away as Westchester. That growing food consciousness, combined with a lack of fresh food in some areas, has spurred seven groups in parts of Brooklyn, Queens and Jersey City to form their own co-ops. But even with plenty of enthusiasm and goodwill, opening a co-op isn't easy. You know, it takes three years to start a co-op. That's what we learned. I don't know if I would have done this myself if if I'd known it was going to take this long. That's D.K. Holland, a founding member of the Green Hill Food Co-op in Brooklyn. They just secured a space for their store in Clinton Hill. Getting this far has taken almost three years of volunteers working on the business in their spare time. They hope to open next year but they need to raise more money to renovate the space and buy key items like walk-in refrigerators. Initially, the goal was $600,000, but once they found a space, they changed their minds. We're not going to open as the ideal store. We're going to open as a prototyped store. Now they hope to raise $80,000 and then start renovating. Most of that money will need to come from memberships. 25-year-old Anna Musig is the co-op's outreach coordinator. She's fielding questions at the co-op's monthly meeting. The journey fee is $150. You can pay that in one installment, or you can pay it over a period of six months, or you can pay it over a period of five years if you're on income. Green Hill is also determined to serve low-income residents who have little access to affordable, fresh food. The Park Slope Food Co-op says food stamps account for around 3% of sales, but new co-ops like Green Hill want to recruit many more low-income members. Health-conscious foodies are natural recruits whenever Musig and her colleagues set up a booth at the Fort Greene Farmer's Market or the Brooklyn Flea. Attracting people outside that group takes more work. Of the more than 130 members who have signed up, only a couple receive income assistance. Founding member D.K. Holland knows the co-op is far from achieving their mission. Looking around at our meetings, I see our meetings are way too middle class to be doing what we need to be doing. Still, she says, a lot of highly educated, energetic, middle-class people helped get the food co-op to where it is now. They just want to make sure they're not the only people shopping there. For WNYC, I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. We'll wrap up, as always, with the Gig Alert, our look at tonight's music scene. Brazilian songstress Luisa Maita hails from the megalopolis of Sao Paulo, and her music reflects the blend of Brazilian tradition and cosmopolitan flair for which her city's known. Tonight, she performs at SOBs, and if you'd like to download this track for free, stop by our culture page at culture.wnyc.org. You can learn more about all the stories you heard here, download more podcasts, and go in depth with our reporters on the news blog, as well as get the latest election results. That's all at our website, wnyc.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day, as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM 820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Isaac Davy Aronson. Have a great day. Oh, yeah.